Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connection, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Back to Basics, Reconnecting to the Essence of You. As you all know, because I've said it many times on the show, I usually don't invite guests from my own industry just because I don't like the idea of people thinking that I do this podcast with ulterior motives. But when I had the chance to hear firsthand the speech of former Sprint CEO and wireless legend Dan Hesse, while he was being inducted in the Wireless Hall of Fame, I just thought to myself, oh my God, it would be great. He would be the ultimate back to basic guest. He has received too many awards to name. He was a mastermind behind taking Sprint from being an almost bankrupted company to the number one performance stock on the S&P 500 during his last two years of tenure. And he was also perennially on Glassdoor's list of America's best CEOs as chosen by employees. He's also a philanthropist, a sustainability and gender equality champion. Thank you, Dan, so much for saying yes to Back to Basics. Leticia, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, I'm very excited. And of course, I mean, everything, your whole journey is so inspirational. And, you know, the whole purpose when I created Back to Basics was to bring inspiration to people that are in their life's journey and they get stuck and they think, well, I chose this career and now I have to stick with it. And so that's why I always like to start with all the guests, asking them about their origin story, like, you know, sharing a little bit about what were you passionate about in your younger years. And I love to trace back if in that journey, you always liked technology and wireless. What, what was young Dan passionate about and if whatever you can share about your, your childhood years? Well, I'm a military brat. So my father was in the army. I have four sisters. Um, I went to grade school in Italy. I went to high school in Germany. And what I was interested in as a young a young guy was sports, sports, and more sports. <laughs> I just played sports, whatever it was, year-round. And the only time I can remember ever going home after school where there wasn't a practice or a game or what have you was when I was injured, mm. which was a miserable time. And my mother to deal with me like she'd make me take piano lessons or something. She would never <laughs> let me sit around, watch television or what have you, which gave me more incentive to get well and get back to, you know, get back on the field. So that's that was really my love. The other thing I, I, I really loved as a, as a youngster was music. Mainly rock music. I remember I was in the fifth grade and we watched the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. And that was like a, a switch went off. And that's what I liked. And that's what I, you know, I, I loved music from then on and became a real kind of music nut, stereo equipment nut, music aficionado. Oh, I love it. Do you play any instruments? I'm terrible at it. I, I, <laughs> You know, I tried as a, as I mentioned, my my mom would have me take piano lessons, and I you know I tried guitar, harmonica, all sorts of things. I appreciate it. I appreciate people with talent, and I'm not one of those people with any musical talent. <laughs> I, I I'm sure that you play better than what you say. And so, when the time to decide, because of course, one sees your career. 
and and you say, wow, did he had it all planned out because it's such an amazing, incredible career? Or was it more one of those things where, you know, that you kind of follow intuition into what it become? Can you share a little bit more uh, of that, that kind of how did you eventually make it into the career you had? Well, it's, it's it actually kind of by chance in some respects, which is, you know, I was in uh, graduate business school. Um, I, I was actually thinking about becoming a lawyer. What I, what I had thought, and the reason I wanted to do that is because uh, I wanted to make the world a better place primarily through politics. Uh, and I was thinking, you know, maybe someday I could be president or, or, or what have you, who knows what, maybe a senator. Uh, and they were all lawyers. You're and that was the only reason. <laughs> <laughs> you still have chance. <laughs> I don't know about that. So I, uh, uh, I needed a good internship between my two years of business school because my whole life kind of growing up, you know, all the jobs I had, I had, you know, um, I worked construction, I cleaned sewers, I was a gardener, I did all these kind of things and I didn't really have anything impressive on my work skills resume. So I needed a good internship. So I asked my sister to go over to, I figured they'd have lots of good internships at the Harvard Business School, which is not where I was going to school. I had her go over there because she lives in Boston, said, take everything out of their placement office and send it to me. So I saw this summer internship. It was actually the best internship program probably in the country called the, the Summer Management and uh, Management Development Program at AT&T. And at the time, AT&T only interviewed at Harvard and Wharton. They interviewed nowhere else. Mm -hmm. So when the application was filled out with all the information, the recruiter looked at this thing and, you know, there's the form and I'm going, I'm not going to Harvard or Wharton. And so he was really curious, how do I get this, you know, this application to go through? And so called me on the phone and I told him how I'd asked my sister to go over to Harvard because I figured there'd be more opportunities. He loved that the initiative. He goes, listen, there's going to be a plane ticket um, at the airport tomorrow morning. I want you to fly in here, come in for some interviews. Um, I'd like to meet you, if nothing else. And I came, interviews went well. I got the summer internship, and that's how I ended up at AT&T. Well, you tell it, and, and, I, and I get goosebumps because those are the, the stories that really everybody listening out there that because these limiting beliefs that we have, well, I, they only hire from Harvard. Like you, you, like a normal person would have said that. And just the fact that you, well, even with this interview, I say, well, the worst that he can say is no, if I invite him on the show. And so, and people look at me strange and, and like that, I, I've been so blessed that I've gotten people like you, like Seth Godin, like, you know, Tammy Simon, uh, you know, to say yes. So I, I love that myself because it gives me, and I know my audience hope that if you are out of the box thinker and have initiative, great things can happen. And some luck and a, and a great sister who's willing to do yes. that. I, I, mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm so fortunate. Uh, you know, I have four wonderful sisters and great parents and, uh, and that was such a blessing. That Growing she up. hold accountable to that and say, hey, remember who, <laughs> gave, <laughs> who got oh, that paper for you? It never lets me forget it. I imagine. I imagine. <laughs> so so you went, of course, and, and you were um, CEO of at t Wireless, great company. And uh, in terms of changing and, and loyalty to one company versus the other, how was that? You know, transition when you had to you had made a great career at AT and T, and and then you have to you you decide to change a little bit of the background of that because I know that a lot of people are also 
scared sometimes to to pursue something new, even if it's in the new industry, in a in the same industry. Sorry. Yeah. So for me, I had spent my entire twenty three year career at that time at AT and T when I left, and when I was the CEO at AT and T Wireless, I you know I and I was extremely loyal to AT and T. There was just a a person, and this was kind of a life change for me because, you know, I, I grew up, I was raised Catholic, and I stopped going to Mass um, because, you know, life had really been good for me. I didn't really think I, I needed it. I was really busy. I was working hard. I felt I had all the right values. And, you know, I was confronted by a situation where, you know, between not only me and my own set of values, but with the support of my wife and friends, it wasn't it wasn't enough. And it kind of got me going back there and thinking about it. And, I, and, and it said, you know, you, even though you love AT&T, you're making a lot of money. Life is good. It's not the right place for you anymore. And I don't mean this bad about the company. It was about a particular person there. And it was the first person in my life I'd ever kind of come across like that. And so uh, it got me to leave and I decided, well, I'll go do a startup. I wanted to do something completely different. Mm -hmm. And I, I, this was, you know, so I went off and I left AT&T and did a startup and then successfully sold that company four years later, took some time off. I actually took about a, uh, you know, a year off to really spend with my, with my two young sons at the time and my wife. And then I went back working for large companies again, I uh, was the CEO of a company called Embark, uh, which is now called Lumen. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I was hired to um, to be the CEO of Sprint back in late 2007, which is how I ended up there. Mm. And, and thank you for that answer, because I know that, um, you know, the fact that you bring whatever faith, I'm Catholic too, but I think this is a recurring subject in, in people's journeys when they say, you know, I don't know what it was, but I felt something inner the inner voice saying reconnect with spirituality with faith and really following intuition because to me it sounds like you you know you greatly follow your intuition and also that in between incredible demanding jobs like you had you were also putting perspective into your family and giving time to your family and um, you know i find that it's very hard for people with that fear of missing out or competition that they really think that they cannot take some time off and and refocus. It's so important to your mental health. Uh, and and uh, even now, so actually when we're done uh, today, I have a Zoom call following, you know, following it up with my old leadership team at Sprint. We get together once a quarter and have for all these years later, because we were great friends and what many of them thank me for was making them spend time with their family. I'd go, you know, like... Um, I'd walk down the hall and I'd see one of my direct reports there working because they never wanted to leave before I did. And, <laughs> and, you know, but everybody, you know, I'm like, you do what you need to do. And I said, look, isn't, doesn't your daughter have a volleyball game tonight? Mm-hmm. And he goes, yeah. And I said, well, you go, you get out of here and you go and then finish your work later. And, you know, but don't miss that. Don't miss out on your, on your kids, on your life, on your spouse, You'll be a you'll be a better person for me and a better person for Sprint if if you do that. And they still thank me for that because um, you know I what what I enjoy when I look back on my career. You know now that I'm retired, there's a few things that matter a lot to me. You know one is, and I think I might have mentioned it even in my when you mentioned the the 
the talk I gave at the Hall of Fame, probably the most valuable thing I own is this big giant book of letters written by the employees of the company to me when I retired in terms of just how much they loved coming to work every day when I was there. They loved the culture. They loved the caring. They loved the purpose. The other thing that matters a lot to me is so many of my folks have gone on and become very successful. I mean, many are CEOs uh, today that were kind of members of my team back then or in the C-suite or in boardrooms or what have you. But so many have told me that they're, you know, they're very close to their family. There's, you know, they're still married. Um, <laughs> they, uh, they have great relationships with their kids and not that they wouldn't have otherwise, but I made sure of it. I would ask people, are you, you know, how, you know, how's the family? How's your spouse? Are you spending time with them? Don't spend too much time here, you know, go do that. And, and they, they thank me for it. Mm. And, and and that's why I, I was so happy when you say yes, because I'm, you know, every time I'm in a conversation and people say, well, no, you know, I'm the CEO or I have such big responsibility, I will say, hey, look at, you know, Dan has listen to episode uh, X and X. <laughs> and I've had, you know, Bracken Darrell, CEO of Logitech, who I also admire greatly and has the same, like that culture. And, uh, you know, actually on my end, we just went to an hotel reunion because I, I, I that's where I started my career in telecom. And we uh, were all saying after 20 years, 20 plus year, we still get together and we just got together a few weeks back over 60 people. And it's still like I say, if this was a company today, we would all be working like nothing happened. That was the culture of a Nortel, at least the one I experienced. And, and really, it's a, the culture survived the company, which is incredible. Mm. And, and that's great. And I love that. I, and we all feel the same. And people in other, you know, the people say, oh, you, you're a Nortel. And Ericsson people or Lucent people at the time used to tell me, what was it with Nortel that you are all so close? And I don't know, but I think if it was what you're relating with your own team is the culture, that legacy stayed. And that's very mm -hmm. inspirational. Culture is, you know, I always talk about it as the MVP of any company's kind of it's the, their secret sauce or their success. Mm. You know, uh, I think it was um, Drucker who said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Mm -hmm. Strategy yes. is really important, but culture is the single most important element, I think, that defines um, successful companies. And the, what I have found is the companies that are most successful have cultures really with three pillars. One is a real focus on your employees, your people. The other is a real focus on customers, what's good for your customers and treating your customers well. And the third is some sense of purpose, well, you know, whatever it might be, some higher calling for the company to exist. And, and you know, when I was at Sprint, we really focused on the planet um, and, you know, and sustainability and those kinds of issues. We, we focused on lots of other things like diversity and inclusion, um, and, and a lot, but I kind of considered that more the employee part of it um but there was there was a real sense of purpose as well and that 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 just drives your people to go way above and beyond mm. you know because they really care absolutely i know i think it said i read somewhere that uh and and i didn't know this but that when you were a sprint because of that uh a purpose of sustainability you establish a recycling program for cell phones and you broke the Guinness record for the most recycled electronics or something like that. 
Oh, you did your research. Yes, we 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 got our Guinness Book of World Records for the most phones recycled. That yes. is incredible. <laughs> no, because also I'm I'm, uh, I'm guilty. Like I have a box because I don't want to throw them. I think it's bad for it. But you have these uh, electronics. Say, wow, he was so ahead of his time when you were thinking about this thing. Even now, I people talk ESG and 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 they look at you like you're crazy or this is never going to happen or who cares about climate change. And really, you saw the issue and were active with the issue way, way ahead of most people. Well, um, it's something I've always believed in. I took courses in pollution and sustainability, even way back in college. But um, but living with, you know, we were talking about your Dutch name, living in the Netherlands, I think a third of the country being below sea level. You know, this was back in the early 90s. They were already quite worried about climate change and global warming and the rising seas. And I started paying a lot of attention to it and it, um, uh, and it just carried through um, where I, you know, I, I learned about it and believed in it and, you know, that climate change was coming and it could be catastrophic for, you know, for, for, for the world. Mm, and that's a great point. And, you know, because yes, I, I am married to a Dutch and my family is Italian while I've lived in, in America my entire life. But we are always, me and my husband, a little bit, you know, like you see what Europe is doing and then we live in the U.S. And we always feel there's a little bit of this disconnect. And even with the ESG, like Europe is really driving a lot of what's happening. What's your take? Like, why can we get, be, work more collaborative or more aligned? Do you Do you feel there's a little bit of misalignment there? Between uh, between Europe and the United States yes. globally, and well, I you know, it, unfortunately, the issue has become political, and it's become political within countries, and it's become political between countries, uh, and and part of the politics too is well, whose job is it? You know, um, like you know, why should we? Let's say I'm in the United States. Why should we cut our emissions if the you know people in India and China and you know in other countries aren't? But I think there's more and more. So global corporations, you know, when you look at, at at laws and rules around sustainability, Europe, I give Europe a lot of credit. They're kind of leading the way. And things that are taking place, you know, laws and rules with respect to corporate governance that are with respect to sustainability that are, that are being enacted in Europe now are likely going to be coming to the United States a year or two later, you know, we're, we're just aligning slightly behind them. So I give, you know, I give them credit. And as corporations are global, um, and I noticed this sitting in the boardroom, a lot of our sustainability practices that we're applying in the United States are partially being driven by whoever is in the lead on that particular issue. And let's say it's in Europe, because you don't want multiple rules and policies in every country of the world. You have one for your global corporation and you do what we'll call it the most demanding market you're in requires. Mm -hmm. You 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 do that everywhere else. So I think in in that respect, we're I think we're perhaps more aligned. Mm. I love that. I, and I'm I'm personally using, you know, like the UN SDGs. I'm like, you know, your country's the signatory of this. Like, if that doesn't put it in perspective for people, it's not only our country signing these efforts, but us as companies and individuals and citizens that we should be more proactive into helping our countries fulfill those promises. Yeah. 
so then of course you are you know we i could i could talk all things wireless but uh, this is not the audience i have but you do a yeah. lot of volunteer work like you are on the national board of governors for boys and girls clubs of america you know the board of directors of just capital many things and I, i'm a firm believer about service and and you know giving back and i believe that a lot of people kind of see that as a waste of time, in my opinion, like to, to for corporate advancement. And and I want I'm curious to hear your your perspective on that. Like if you were an executive and you see that they are not getting maybe as involved as they should, is this something that that pays back? Absolutely. I believe it does because I think it reflects well on a company's brand particularly if your employees and especially your executives are involved in the communities in which you serve. So I really encouraged, for example, the executives at Sprint to be involved in nonprofits and to be involved in the community uh, because, uh, and, and also, you know, our people and, and employees uh, encourage that as well because it reflects very well on, on the company. So for example, in Kansas City, where we were headquartered, we probably had 90% market share of wireless customers in our hometown. And when I would talk to customers, they go, well, you know, because Sprint is such a great corporate citizen. It also, it, it's also very rewarding for your people as well. So I'm a big advocate of it. Um, you know, like, like anything, you know, there's always a, you know, there's a trade-off time-wise and everybody needs to figure that out because you've got your family on the one hand and your work and your community. Um, but what I did in, from my own personal point of view and what I encouraged with my executives, especially with when I was talking about, for example, the example of, you know, going to your daughter's volleyball game. When my first son was born, my wife and I, we were avid golfers. And once my son was born, our first son was born, we quit cold turkey and I can count on my fingers how many rounds of golf I played in the next 25 years. You give up all those things you do that are good for, let's say, Dan, which you could do when you were single or when you was just, you know, you were a married couple. You find things you give up that aren't giving back, that are just kind of giving to yourself. So I, I, don't, I, I don't think it's fair to call them selfish things because there is something to be said for for taking care of yourself and doing things that are fun. But I cut out a lot of things that I did for fun in order to do all these other things. And there's, and you get more fulfillment, I believe by giving than taking. Mm. I love it. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's the, but coming to the realization that something's gotta give, I think that's the part we most of us struggle. Like, Yes, I enjoy this, but maybe I am enjoying also this and coming to that terms that those things that you say that I used to do when I was single or didn't have the kids, that's, you know, maybe that's changing and now it's not what it used to be. But you, you also learn and you have to really work at learning how to be more productive yourself. Um, so, for example, I mean, it was almost a joke. So I went to all my sons, both boys played baseball and at every game. I'd be in the stands and everybody would look, I'd have my cell phone and my laptop and I'd be watching them because there's always breaks and, you know, your son, you know, your son's team might be in the dugout and, and you're, and let's say your, your son's not hitting. I'm doing emails. I'm doing phones. You're, you use every minute of every day productively. I also didn't watch television. 
I mean, I, I didn't play golf. I didn't watch television. People were talking about TV shows. What are you talking about? Because I was either working or being a dad or going to a boys and girls club dinner or what have you. Something's got to give. But I think personal productivity, that's one of the great things about technology. You can get really good at it and get a lot more done in much less time. Mm. I I totally agree with that. We we I think we are among our friends that our last people that I know that we have only one TV in our entire home. <laughs> so we are with you on that. I don't think in this day and age uh, that's the case for many people. But uh, I believe like if you prioritize what fills your bucket and your family's bucket, then you really can have um, you know a more fulfilled life than when you have so much noise and 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 things going on and so and so of course I have an advocate I, I have to ask this question because I'm I've been in telecom for 25 years so uh, you know I was born into it my I, my dad had the company but you know I I've been around a lot of males in my life in this industry so to speak. And uh, I know you're a big advocate for, you know, uh, gender equality. And I was very lucky because I had mentors, men mentors that pulled me with them. And, and but it hasn't been easy. In your view, where we are with, you know, finding a little bit more balance on boardrooms and, and C-suit and at the C-level, not only in telecom in general. Well, I've seen a lot of progress in the last in the last few years uh, and. Um, I think, you know, this this focus on ESG, of all the areas where I think it's made the biggest difference, it probably is in diversity in the C-suite, but especially in the boardrooms. Um, and, I, and so, you know, we're not where we need to be, but but there's been a lot of progress. So I serve on the board of a nonprofit called the Women Business Collaborative. And, you know, our, our focus and goal is is helping women succeed in business. And it's at all levels, um, whether it's, you know, small companies to large companies, um, especially improving diversity. You know, you're in tech like I'm in tech of all of the industries that have done the poorest job in terms of in, in, in terms of gender diversity. I'd say it's tech it tends to be more male dominated than just about any other industry you know one can think of. So, yeah. So you have to, to, to lean into it. But I, you know, I, I see a lot of progress being made. Um, you know, I grew up with four sisters. I was the only boy. The, the, by the way, the benefit was I'm the only one who got my own room as <laughs> as, a, as a result, um, and just knew how capable they were. And my my wife was also a an executive. She was a vice president at AT and T, so we knew each other, and you know. Um, we both had successful careers and then we got married and then we continued to have kind of successful parallel careers. And, and once we decided to have children, um, she kept working, but when we decided to have our second child, she made the difficult decision for her that she would, you know, she wanted to raise the, the kids. And I, and I, and I understand that. Um, and, and so appreciate the fact that she was willing to to do that and make that, make that sacrifice. But you know, I, I think we're making we're making progress in, in in gender equality, and particularly if you take a look at at we'll call it the Fortune 500, the boardroom diversity, and and look at how those numbers are improving every year. We're not, you know, it's not 50% women yet, which is you know, where the population is, and then that's when you can say, okay, we're there. But but but, um, but progress is being made. Mm. 
That's encouraging. And I thank you for your leadership in that because, you know, it wasn't that long ago. I, somebody asked me, you know, I need I need uh, top, top, you know, experienced women for, for a public SPAC that well, well, for a SPAC that was being formed and it's a public company. Can you recommend? And I, I gave three names of incredible, I mean, like amazing women, all with private board experience. Um, and the one that I thought was like the best fit and, and this is somebody in their 60s, like somebody with an amazing career. They said that they wanted somebody with public board experience. And then it, it hit me. I'm like, if this woman whom I think like is over almost qualified, but for that reason, she was not even considered uh, for the job. It's like, how do we break like those things, even when the most experienced woman with the highest level of experience get the same challenge i never she's never done this so um she cannot even get a chance that's a that's i mean that's we call it the catch-22 that that is that's an issue and that's one of the things that we we talk about in in boardrooms uh and it's it's one of the things that the wbc the women's business collaborative talks about which is you know if you have requirements that by definition eliminate a huge part of the diverse pool, does that requirement really need to be there and why? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly, like ch- challenging those requirements. Well, we need people like yeah. you to, to challenge those people with that <laughs> with that experience, with that uh, reputation, you know? And so I thank you for that. So, I mean, I could ask many questions, but I know I always wanna be um, cognizant of the person's time. Uh, Danny, something about that I always ask all my question, all my guests on the ask the last question is, you know, you 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 are obviously very aligned with your purpose, with your mission. I call it being aligned with what makes us tick. When you are having, you know, a day where you feel off or you feel down, what is it the habit or things you go to to reconnect to to your soul, so to speak? Well, um, for me, the things that uh, that kind of give me fulfillment is. is- Quite frankly, getting something done, accomplishing something. So, uh, you know, every morning when I get up, and I've been doing this since the time I was back in school, so I make a list of things to get done and, you know, I'll cross them off. And then the next morning when I get up, I'll start with those things left over from the previous day and then add things. And during the day, I'll cross things off and, 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 um, and take them off. What gives me satisfaction and, and get, and, gets my mood better is crossing things off that list just being productive in some way uh that that's that's it that that's really important to me the other thing is you know people say you know have asked me well you know when you were young what did you you know what did you dream of being what did you dream of becoming all those kinds of questions and i said you know i i really didn't have that many dreams and that i i like to live in the moment and appreciate what I had right then. Um, I remember being in high school and I remember thinking about it, you know, I don't want to graduate from high school. Life is so good right now. Everything around me, I have great parents, great sisters, great friends. I'm, I, you know, I'm having such a good time. Then in college, I felt kind of the same way is I reflect on all the blessings and all the great things I had. I said, you know, I never want to graduate from college. And then during my career, 
a lot of my friends who were, you know, high performers, they couldn't wait to get to the next level or couldn't wait to be in the C-suite. I can't wait till I'm a vice president. I can't wait till I'm CEO. I never thought like that. I always loved what I was doing right then, had a good time what I was doing. If I was doing a good job, things would take care of themselves and move on. So for me, what, you know, I, what makes me tick is just looking around and appreciating. And if I'm having a down day, what I have, like my health, appreciating what I have, living in the moment. And also for me, from a satisfaction, getting something done, uh, that makes me happy. The other, I have a couple other hobbies that, that are my, um, you might say my vices, and that's I mentioned earlier, music. I, I and I, I've always collected stereo equipment. Um, you know, I've probably installed I can't remember, at least fifty audio systems for friends. I mean, I oh wow, uh, I, oh yeah, just give me your budget, you know, because they don't want to <laughs> go research everything. For me, it's fun. Interesting. I'll go figure out what you know, what kind of list music they listen to. I'll go buy their system. I'll install it. I'll do everything because that for me is fun. Always has been over the years, but I'll listen to really good music with you know, my other hobby is, is wine mm -hmm. with a great glass of wine mm -hmm. and kind of sit back and, and relax and think and, and kind of take it all in. That's, that's how I keep myself, uh, keep myself happy. Wow, Dan. Well, I was impressed before. Now I'm a bigger fan, especially <laughs> with, with those uh, with those hobbies. Uh, but also your attitude of gratitude. I really think that that's at the center of it all is just being okay with what we have. And as some people call it, resting in enoughness and being okay with, you know, we have, most of us have more than what we need. And to being okay with that concept and, and not being on the pursuit of something always, you know, I think that's really the secret to your success. Well, you're nice to say so. What's interesting, what kind of brings it home is, you know, we're right now in the in the Christmas holiday time of the year. And, you know, my wife says, well, I need a Christmas list. You know, what do you want? And I'm like, I don't want anything. <laughs> I, I really have a hard time coming up with something i want mm. that i don't have mm. i mean it's it's actually hard you know it's nice i mean i see somebody who's driving a really cool car or whatever that's nice but i don't really want it mm -hmm. it's you know i can appreciate it but it's you know it's not like i feel like i need it um and i and i give my i give my parents credit for that um you know my dad grew up during the depression as a as a poor farm kid in nebraska um and He got his, his, his ticket. He was the first one, not only in his family, but in his whole region to go to college because he scored really well on the exam. They had exams back then to go to the, to the military academies. And of course, the, you know, so he got an appointment to West Point, the United, the U.S. Military Academy, which of course pays for everything. So you didn't have to have money to go to West Point. That was his ticket off, you know, kind of off the farm. And so he always had this feeling of great gratitude for all that he had mm. and he kind of instilled that in us and and I, i try to instill it in uh in, in in my kids um you know fingers crossed they i think our our boys have have turned out by the way that's you talk about satisfaction satisfaction in life it's it's having a great relationship with your kids and being proud of them and liking the way they turned out mm. and i couldn't be i could not be more proud 
of the way my boys have turned out. Well, imagine if all your employees love you so much, imagine your family. I mean, it's impossible to think that you haven't done an amazing job. And I, I really think it it all comes from having great parents and it sounds like you did and, and staying true to who you are. So, uh, and just, you know, even the fact that you will be available to somebody like me to just chat on my podcast is just, to me, it's inspiration and it's, is uh, walking the talk and for that I really really thank you very much and I, and I know everybody that's going to listen to this is going to be equally impressed and inspired by all the things that, that you share with us well Letitia I appreciate you asking me I've enjoyed our conversation and I've really enjoyed getting to know you better likewise Dan thank you so much best of luck in everything you do I'll continue to watch and for helping make the, the world a better place uh, in sustainability <laughs> and a greener place and to all of you out there listening thank you so much for tuning in and until the next episode of Back to Basics take care bye bye you've been listening to Back to Basics you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook if you haven't yet subscribe Rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming platforms. This is the best gift you can give us. Join me next week for another Back to Basics conversation. And if you want to find out about other exciting things I'm working on, visit LeticiaLatino.com. Thank you and until the next time.